0: safe's legal department of the future podcast i'm PACSAFE founder and ceo brian powers in this podcast i sat down with megan niedermeyer and chelsea turner two of the leaders of the gusto legal team tune in as megan and chelsea discuss how they've scaled the legal team from two to thirty how they built a super collaborative relationship with their product teams and how they leverage technology to scale All right, welcome back to the uh, Legal Departments of the Future podcast. I'm Brian Powers, the CEO at Pacsafe. Joining us today, I'm really excited about this. We actually have uh, two of the leaders of the legal and compliance team at Gusto, Megan Niedermeyer and Chelsea Turner. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Brian. Excited to be here. Yeah,
0: Thanks for having us. To, to get started, why don't uh, you guys tell me a little bit about your background, and how you got into law how you made your way to the legal team at Gusto and what makes you passionate about what you do.
2: Sure, I'll start. Uh, my name is Chelsea Turner. Um, I've been at Gusto for almost four years now, which um, seems a little crazy in retrospect. Uh, before coming to Gusto, I actually was in law school, um, so I actually started at Gusto as a legal intern. Came on full time when I graduated law school, and before law school, I worked in international development in London. Um, so definitely took a pivot, but a, a good pivot. I'm happy to be here at Gusto, uh, mainly focusing on uh, product issues.
1: Chelsea is one of those rare unicorn people that can go straight from law school to an in-house gig and have a super excellent career pathing. Um, I'm so excited to be here with her because she's got not only deep knowledge of gusto, but a really great understanding of how companies and how legal departments scale. So That's my-
0: great. That is rare.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very rare. So, my name is Megan Niedermeyer. I lead the legal and compliance function here at Gusto. Prior to Gusto, I worked in a couple law firms, most recently at Cooley, where I focused on late stage private company work. Uh, Prior to my career in law, I also, like Chelsea, was in the field of international development. I received my admission to law school when I was living in Afghanistan and wasn't quite sure I wanted to be a lawyer at the time, but knew that I wanted to probably move back to the Bay Area and that Berkeley would be a great life fit to start the next chapter.
0: That's great. think you'll ever go back to uh, big law life?
1: I thought you're going to ask me, do you think I'll ever go back to Afghanistan? <laughs> I feel more <laughs> than <laughs> answering that question than I do about big law life. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I think you already answered it. That's great. Uh, great backgrounds from both of you. Um, I love the, uh, I love the making the move right from from law school to in-house. Sometimes that can be a challenge. It sounds like you've done it uh, very, very well, Chelsea. So tell us just a little bit about Gusto. What does Gusto do?
1: Great question. Uh, So Gusto is a people platform focused on payroll services, HR compliance, and health insurance benefits for businesses across the US. We more recently moved into the field of financial prosperity. So financial products that can help businesses offer benefits to their employees so that um, financial prosperity can be something that everybody works towards. One thing that drew me to gusto is the, the really clear mission to focus on creating a world where work empowers a better life. I think it's a special place to be a lawyer because all of our products are meant to lift the compliance burdens off of business owners so they can focus on what they do best, which is running the substantive business creating cool ideas and pushing those out into the world and taking care of their employees on a one-to-one personal basis. So Gusto offers these solutions to be the interface between government and compliance and paperwork and things that are really um, kind of the bane of business owners existence. We take that burden off and and help uh, business, businesses run more smoothly.
0: So describe to me the, the function of the legal department at Gusto. What do you guys like, what do you focus on? Um, What's your day-to-day look like, both at a strategic level and a tactical level?
1: Yeah, our function really is is a um, factor of what our product is. So I think in, in companies, legal departments have different roles to play. One of the interesting things about our legal department is legal and compliance. We play a really important role in our product development, because our products are so focused on regulated industries that are rapidly changing based on new laws on a 50 state basis, on a federal basis. You think of innovations in health insurance. You think of tax code changes that happen annually. You think of HR compliance issues that are constantly changing. Uh, the role of our, our legal and compliance team is really uh, a reflection of the fact that the company is, is focused on highly regulated fields. So one thing I'd call out for our team is um, we're very very involved in the product. Um, The teams who create the products are never hesitant to reach out to us to ask our opinion on, hey, how would this look? How would this create more or less risk? How would this take this um, reporting burden or this other burden off of a business owner? Um, And then the other thing to notice is uh, the legal department is a function of both the Kind of strategic business partner aspects of what we do, but also we have an operational team that's really on the ground and supporting both our internal customers and our external customers. So legal and compliance here at Gusto, we're a team of almost 30 comprised of some of the more traditional legal department roles that you might think of. Employment lawyer, product counsel, privacy lawyer, commercial contracts counsel, but also an operational team on compliance that work hand in hand with our customer support and our sales teams on thinking through health insurance and payroll tax issues. Chelsea has seen a huge growth of our team from, I think you were the second lawyer,
2: yep. and we now have a
1: team of almost 30. I've been at Gusto for a little over a year and have watched the team almost double in size, but um, Chelsea has seen way more changes than that and um, can, can probably talk to how our, our role as a team has evolved over time.
2: Yeah, I I like to joke that our our co-founders and kind of our leadership team here at Gusto uh, keep on choosing the most regulated um, and complex industries to move into, uh, which means we need an army of not just lawyers, but people who are passionate about and experts in uh, any subject area. This is going to be the people who are just knee deep in IRS regulations and understand it uh, backwards and forwards. Someone who, uh, you know, is a reformed lawyer, uh, so to speak, who uh, is obsessed with health insurance and knows how the carriers work, and is working with carriers to modernize how we offer health insurance nationwide. Um, so we're definitely a much larger team than your average legal compliance team would be at a given startup, given our size.
0: You brought up two things there that uh, that I think would be really interesting to dive into here. That's a lot of growth on a legal team. How has that happened How' do you know it was time to, to kind of grow the legal team um, to that extent that's some pretty significant growth and I think people will be really interested to hear kind of what the strategy was there and, and how you actually did it
1: yeah that's a common question I, I hear talked about with other kind of GCS within network of other tech company GCS which is how do you know it's time to hire how do you scale what's the right way to scale what's the, the first hire you make outside of the kind of GC role? Uh, It really is company dependent Um, and I think that there's lots of tactics you can use to bridge the gap between having one lawyer or two lawyers when you really need 10 lawyers. How do you get from that one to two to 10 and um, how do you know it's time to not only max yourselves out, but bring somebody else on board so you don't have to max yourself out. Chelsea has lived through this intimately and knows what it's like to scale the team and um, some of the hacks we used um, in the in-between stages to get us from A to B. Yeah,
2: unfortunately, when you realize it's time to hire someone or grow your team, it's probably too late. Um, and the, re- the re- realization is a byproduct of the pain that you're experiencing. Um, and so, as you try to, you know, juggle. Um, all the things that a a small team um, handles on a legal team, and you start thinking about leverage, Um, sometimes you think maybe it's time to bring in the expert, spend the money, bring a full-time person, but other times usually there is some middle ground. You think about, you can always hire, um, you know, independent consultants. Uh, we have a very successful legal internship program, which allows us to kind of leverage them uh, for research and kind of some more trainings and things that aren't necessarily worth our time. Um, and then also software. I think that's really important to uh, create things that are self-serve so that things aren't just coming into your email inbox, right? The people are creating a ticketing system so you can prioritize all of the work that needs to be done in, on any given basis. I, I would like to quote like one
1: of my favorite colleagues at another company who leads the legal function, he likes to say, no one gets a prize for having the most lawyers in a company. (laughs) And really it's less about the size of the legal department, but more about are you meeting the business needs in a way that the business feel like it is justified to have that headcount to support the the really fundamental goals of the business, which is grow the business, serve the customers. Um, So for us, the size of the team is more of a reflection of, the operational aspects of our compliance, the highly regulated industries that Chelsea talked about. Um, And the interns have been such a great way to to bridge the the legal gap of, okay, we think we need some more people to do X, Y, and Z. We're not sure that we're totally there yet. How do we beta test that? Bring in a super smart person to come do it on an internship level and that can help bridge us from uh, knowing we need to hire, but actually being able to hire and have someone on the ground.
2: Yeah, I'd say there are two types of hires, right? One is going to be, we just need more hands on deck because there's too much work to pass around. And the other one is we need to work smarter or move quicker um, and we need to bring an expert in. And Gusto's done um, both throughout uh, my time at Gusto, uh, in the beginning, more more hands on deck and then later thinking if we want to move into kind of financial prosperity, which we talked about, then it's time to bring in a, you know, financial services lawyer, someone who can get us to zero to 100 much quicker than someone who's maybe a jack of all trades. There's an article that gets passed
1: around a lot in the legal and compliance team here at Gusto, and I think more broadly in the company, but it's a blog post by someone from First Round Capital, and the title is something like how to share your Legos or the importance of sharing your Legos. And essentially the theme of the article is, hey, you're at a fast scaling company. That is so exciting. But it is also a little bit like being a kid in a playroom with a bunch of Legos. You can build something yourself but it's way more fun to build with others and you can build more complex and cooler things when you bring others on board. So a little bit of our um, department's growth has been a, how do you share your Legos? When is it time to give up something in your portfolio and pass that off to another body, either because of volume based concerns or because of specialization. So I know my job has changed multiple times, kind of every couple months, you have to share your Legos and hire yourself out of a job in some sector area or another. Um, and Chelsea's job has done that even more so because she's been at GUSSA so longer and has seen things progress from kind of one end of the spectrum to the other extreme. One example of that that I think of a lot is in the early days, we didn't have a super robust security program. And so legal played a much larger role in things like um, SOC audits and reports, and um, disaster recovery plans, and incident response management, security issues overall. As our security team has really been built up with the addition of um, Frederick Lee, who came over and froze the prior CISO from Square. He's now the Gusto CISO. We've seen the legal department have to take a little bit of a step back and recognize that we've got experts in in here who are taking, taking up the torch and doing the work that maybe we used to do. So sometimes it means sharing your Legos within people uh, for your team that you hire specifically for volume or specialty-based roles. But sometimes it's also sharing your Legos on other close stakeholders and other teams within the business.
0: Wow. that That's really interesting. I've never heard anybody apply any sort of framework like that to building a legal team. So that's kudos to you guys. Your legal intern program, does it look like a... Um, like a clerkship in a in a law firm, or is this like a summer internship? Is that a full time higher talent pipeline for you guys or
2: yeah, so we we have two legal interns um, this in the summer, um, and we you'd be surprised we get around three hundred applicants um, whenever we post our summer internship hiring, and we you know from the from you know top law schools across the country, and we really use the summer to invest in them um, and use their research and and uh, kind of fresh eyes uh, to help us uh, conquer some of our uh, you know volume work as well as uh, really give them opportunity to hone their research skills and we also then uh, allow them to stay on part-time during the school year uh, so that they can continue you know obviously for a student earning money but for us being able to continue to leverage the the investment we put into them during the summer Um, it really uh, increases our bandwidth tremendously. Chelsea's being um, very humble about this but really
1: the legal intern program is completely managed and run by Chelsea and she's done a really (laughs) awesome job of finding incredibly bright roll-up-your-sleeves type of students who want to learn the business in a way that's not just a lawyer hat, but sort of also a business leader hat. Um, Chelsea herself was a former intern at Gusto and um, is probably the exception to the rule for hiring straight uh, from law school to in-house, but uh, she's so great that I'm sure there's others out there like her.
0: <laughs> that Yeah, it sounds like a great program. Another thing that you brought up that was interesting, you uh, said you're very involved in the product and, and something that really stuck out like that. I would expect that, but you said that, you know, the product stakeholders never hesitate to reach out. Right. How'd you crack that code? Like it, it what is the relationship between legal and product and, and, you know, how have you managed that?
1: I think one thing that we think about a lot internally at Gusto is our product isn't just a software, so it's not just us sitting down side by side with engineers or product kind of typical PM product leaders, but we consider our product our software plus our people. So our customer service organization, and our sales organization are equally important part of our product and help create this customer love flywheel that accelerates uh, our customers desire to want to adopt and utilize the product. Chelsea's done a really awesome job of getting embedded within the product org, and I say product really broadly, of this software and people concept.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, as you probably know, it's not easy and it's not something that happens overnight. They're, you know, you want them to see you as a strategic partner, as someone who's solution focused um, and can take the complex and put it into simple terms Um, for engineers, maybe that's, you know, how would we code this um, and create kind of true false, you know, equations, whether it's overtime calculations for a time tracking product or, um, you know, some of our more complex payroll services, Um, but it takes time. And luckily for us, I think there's an, a stronger need for us than maybe some other teams that aren't dealing with as challenging of issues. Gusto is taking things that are really challenging for small business owners um, and trying to make them simple. But if they're really challenging and complex and hard to understand for small business owners, it's probably going to be the same for an engineer or someone whose background is in design. And so our job is to take the, you know, the really dense IRS code, put it into um, language that our internal teams can understand and then they can make it even more customer friendly um, for our customers.
0: I can tell you that uh, uh, both from people I've talked to on the podcast and uh, inside of PackSafe's customer base that not all legal teams have such a uh, collaborative and healthy relationship with products. So that's, that's great.
1: It really helps when you put your best lawyers into the product org. And so if you've got a lawyer that people like, that they wanna work with, that they're friendly with, that they trust, that they can hang out with after work or get dinner or lunch with on the gusto offices, um, that goes a long way. Chelsea's a great face for us because everyone loves working with her and it makes our job easier when you have someone like Chelsea working with the product org. I think also that the thing that Chelsea likes to say that I'm laughing at because it's a little bit of a like dad joke area, but one thing that helps when working with product is you want to be the department of no, K-N-O-W, <laughs> and not the department of no. And N-O. oh. So when you definitely bring,
0: a dad joke, but I'll, I'll yeah, definitely
1: it. a dad joke, right? <laughs> but when you can bring that that kind of like here's some additional things that might help you in thinking about our product. When you bring that to the table, it's very different than coming to the table with that. No, this isn't going to work. No, this isn't going to work. No, you can't do that.
2: Yeah, most, I mean, it, product teams, the, you know, we have a bad reputation uh, of product councils. They think we are going to be the wet blanket, the one who says no. And so if you can say no, but, um, and offer more solutions, um, they that goes a long way for them wanting to come to you at all. Um, and then I would also say something that really helps um, when you have a new product person come in is have that introductory meeting with them. Gusto has a great culture where when someone comes in, their, um, their manager of personal empower is the term we use sets up a list of people they need to meet with um so they can get to know them and so what i do um i have a little practice i meet them and then we also brainstorm like what could i do what are products we could create and that way they start seeing you as a strategic partner not necessarily just a gatekeeper
0: it's brilliant it's uh, i'm hearing a lot of things that uh, i have not heard from other people before and we have a lot of these discussions so And I'm going to uh, make sure that our product marketing team puts department of no into some of their collateral, because I love that's, did you guys make that up?
2: (laughs) I give credit to Chelsea on this one. (laughs) No, I actually, I heard it at a conference um, and it was the only palatable uh, compliance theme that I took from that that specific panel, but I think it rings true.
0: But you're right. It does. It sends the perfect message to you know, products and other business stakeholders, right? Because legal always gets a bad rap. I mean, we all know that as lawyers, but um, yeah, little things like that go such a long way. So some of the challenges, legal teams always have challenges, right? Um, Sometimes they're difficult to uh, overcome unless you come up with really creative solutions. Um, Talk to me about how some of the things that you've been able to do that might be unique to your team. to to overcome some of those challenges.
1: Yeah, I think um, what is really core to your question is understanding kind of where the team fits within the company and where your team's strengths and maybe development opportunities are. So taking a step back, uh, being able to carve out time as a busy in-house counsel, maybe you're the only lawyer, maybe you have a team of a lot of lawyers, but um, carving out time to step back and say, okay, on an all-company basis, where are our strengths and where are our superstars? Like, how are we doing a really awesome job? And what are things that um, continue to pop up that we don't really have skill sets for? And maybe, like, no lawyer has skill sets for. So for us, doing that, that process of stepping back and looking big picture, what type of things hit our team, how often they hit our team, where we're succeeding and where we're having issues, resulted in us realizing, okay, lawyers are great for a lot of things. And like all you lawyers out there, all lawyers and companies need more love. (laughs) But there are things that we probably need a non-lawyer to do. So one thing we've done is we've carved out some specific roles on our team, even within the core legal team, not in the compliance functions, but within the core legal team, um, that are handled by a non-lawyer. And that has been an innovation in the last six months or so, and it's been working really well because they bring strengths to the table that um, a law school grad doesn't typically have, and even a seasoned lawyer doesn't typically have. So really strong project management um, experience, um, a deep understanding of our business model and our customer support systems. Uh, We brought in somebody who was an all-star kind of customer service organization member, is a couple years out of college, and she is now handling all of our kind of volume based work on the legal team that relates to um, UCC liens or subpoenas or um, kind of day-to-day issues that pop up as a result of being a large payroll company that has a hundred thousand businesses on our platform. We get um, notices and questions and escalations routinely and Having one of our lawyers spend time doing kind of getting in the weeds with a certain customer and trying to help them out wasn't a great use of our time, and none of us were really good at it. <laughs> and here, we, here we have this all-star customer-focused uh, person coming in and taking all of that off our plate. It's been a huge uh, lift off of our shoulders. And Chelsea is kind of managing that program of how do we take repeatable processes and hand them off to non-lawyers where possible.
2: Yeah, I'd say lawyers. We. We think we often like to do it ourselves because we think we can do it the best, um, but it doesn't mean we should be, right? It's not necessarily always a good use of your time. And there are people who probably do know your product better um, or know how to you know, work uh, data software better than you do um, and can use those skills to really leverage the team better.
1: Yeah, for us, the non-lawyers on our team, like what makes them so great um, is either they bring complementary skill sets that help leverage and propel our expertise even further. So like hyper-organization, great program management experience, deep understanding of our business, all of those things make the legal expertise we have go even further.
0: Makes perfect sense. So tell me about how you leverage data and technology, whether it's legal tech or other pieces of technology to optimize the way your team functions?
1: This is an interesting question because for me, this also relates a little bit to OKR setting and um, kind of for legal departments everywhere, you'll likely be pressured into saying, okay, what are your OKRs for the quarter? What are your OKRs for the year? How do they fit in with the business objectives? And OKR setting for a lot of teams is super straightforward. You're going to build this, you're going to meet these numbers, you're going to keep these metrics. For legal departments, OKR setting can be a lot harder because much of what we do is very reactive in support of the business for things that you can't really anticipate coming up. Certainly some of it is proactive. You can plan to help a team build a product. You can plan to issue um, a certain type of training. You can plan for transactions, but there is so much of our day-to-day that is unplanned um, that is a surprise and sometimes a really cool surprise. That's what keeps us in these jobs and um, is what's exciting to be in-house. Um, so OKR setting generally, it's it's hard for teams to do uh, because you don't really know what you're gonna get into. I think the importance of the data piece is it can both inform our OKR setting, but also reflect what we worked on historically the last quarter. So that when you come to the end of the quarter and you think, oh, we planned for these OKRs and we got some of them done, but we didn't because we got derailed by these other things that were going on in the business. Having those metrics is really important to say, hey, we're still making progress. OKRs are good to only a certain extent for legal teams, and we can still show that the work that we are doing through these other metrics and methods. Uh, For us, we've really adopted the technology that other parts of the business has used. So JIRA, Salesforce, um, leveraging those for some of our day-to-day legal work has been really helpful to show pure numbers.
2: Yeah, I would say that so much of what we do is reactive and so um, kind of what Megan's talking about for OKRs. is usually at the end of quarter, we say, okay, well, we didn't make our OKRs and other teams that might be a bigger problem, uh, but for us, it's that a lot of things came in the way and we had to you know, protect the business and propel the business in ways that we didn't foresee. And so what that means is when you're being reactive, it's a lot harder to communicate uh, to your finance team or to whomever that maybe you do need to expand your team if you don't have data that's been tracking all of the work you've been doing that maybe didn't result in kind of a new shiny product or some kind of certain launch because what we do day to day really stays under the radar for most. Yeah, and I'll give some concrete examples of that.
1: So our um, part of our product is our people who serve the customers and our our people portion of the products our customer service and sales teams they utilize salesforce primarily our benefits compliance team has done a really great job of also utilizing salesforce so they can track and advise within the system that the rest of the business is already using so that at the end of a quarter you can easily pull metrics like number of times the benefits compliance team or lawyers there Um, advise on an insurance escalation issue, or help determine a concession that was in compliance with law, or uh, advise on an ACA filing. Those are really cool numbers to have, but you can can see the, the growth of the volume of that business over time, and how that volume impacts the legal and compliance team. Anytime you have more customers, you probably have more touch points with legal and compliance. Another example is just our use of Jira, so our engineering org, really relies on JIRA primarily to submit tickets and issues and questions and requests. It's really cool that as a legal department on a quarterly basis, we can run reports that say, wow, we got this number of, you know, hundreds of questions this quarter, um, spanning the gamut from um, an engineering type question to a customer service question to a privacy question. We can delineate types of questions we got When we responded to them, how long it took us to respond—that's also the process we use for submitting commercial contracts. And our commercial contracts guru uh, is just pedal to the metal on hundreds of agreements that she reviews on a quarterly basis.
0: And she uses Jira to 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 manage the progress on on all that.
1: Yeah, we use probably two methods on our commercial contracts end. One is um, for agreements that other other business. Units want to enter into whether it's a vendor or something else. Those will be submitted through JIRA as a ticket that goes to legal and they say, hey, legal, we want to enter into, you know, let's say A consulting agreement for a training for our team in, in a month from now. Can you review the agreement that creates an automatically linked ticket to our finance team and our security team so that any commercial contract we enter into is blocked from approval unless and until finance approves the budget, security approves from a kind of security vendor relationship perspective, and legal has reviewed the contract, marked it up if necessary, and sent it back to the business owner. That business owner then is empowered to go negotiate, to send the new draft, and then ultimately once legal is kind of final sign off, to get that executed by the other party. So that's sort of a typical vendor-contract relationship. We also utilize legal tech options for automating commonly received contracts. That's been the coolest thing that we've developed, I think, in the last year on the contract side, which is just more and more thought into, hey, what sort of things are we seeing time and time again? How do we make this easier, smoother, uh, repeatable, and more self-service? How can the business do this without us getting in the way? And surprisingly, there's actually a lot of ways you can remove lawyers from the equation while also having great oversight and controls. So we use a couple platforms that have pre-populated types of agreements like NDAs, offsite activity waivers, consulting agreements, there's a couple others that we think are generally easy to create one standard that everyone can go off
2: and sign. Yeah, I would say as you as you scale your business too, you have more leverage to uh, require that it be done on your paper or form than someone else's. And so, you know, we started seeing a lot of, you know, hiring or recruiting agreements come through on other agencies' paper and, you know, head recruiting says, hey, I think we're at a stage where we could have our own form for this. And so we're able to kind of self-serve and populate that um, instead of having to, you know, have our commercial counsel negotiate each one individually.
0: The Jira-based contract approval process and workflow is is really interesting. That's another thing I've never I've never heard anybody talk about that before. Um, so w- was the driver there to say, "Hey, we don't want everybody to have to adopt something new. Like you're you're already using Jira; can be used for this. It's just another way of filing a ticket." Was that the thinking there? Was Did legal come up with that idea? Did engineering? It's just, it's really interesting.
2: Yeah, so the company used Jira historically, um, and at the time when there were two lawyers, everything was done by email. Um, and we wanted a way for people to ask questions, submit contracts, and um, just ask for legal help in a way that you know, obviously, not needing to spend more money on a new software service. And it had a ticketing system. And as we used that, we started realizing there's certain kind of categories, right? So uh, commercial contracts is one of them. Subpoenas is another. Legal questions um, another. Um, and so. So how do we think about optimizing this software um, in a way that we can make sure all the parties are involved? So early on the GR process, when someone did a, you know, just a general legal ticket and it was a contract, we would comment and tag, um, you know, one person on accounting and our one person on security. But now those teams are, you know, tenfold in of themselves. And so we needed to kind of think about how we mature that system. Um, And luckily our IT team was able to kind of show us the different opportunities in creating automated, you know, sub tickets and link tickets uh, to do that. Yeah, so I think
1: original driver was, you know, really brilliant. Like, hey, engineering already uses this. I wonder if they could submit their contracts and questions this way. Over the last year to two years, we've made so many small improvements that you don't really notice at the time. But now I look back and I think, gosh, even from like when I joined over a year and a half ago, The JIRA process looks so different than it did then and that's a reflection of how did we keep inching towards scale. What is optimized for scale, what is optimized for volume control, what is optimized for self service. So we have these linked tickets, we've got these blockers, but also it's a great place at scale to tag other stakeholders who might be interested in the contract. For example, if we are doing a contract that relates to our um, kind of employment practices. It is great to have one place in JIRA to tag our employment lawyer in case he wants to weigh in on the substance of that relationship, even outside the strictly commercial contract review of what is the indemnification provision say.
2: And then, yeah, I don't know that this was necessarily a a motivator at the time, but it's great for historical record keeping, Um, whether, you know, when you're doing a financing or just generally for business continuity, you don't want something stuck in someone's email Um, and then they leave the company and then it's lost, right? So you want to make sure you have somewhere where you can search in one software to find that vendor someone mentioned or be able to understand how much you're spending on a certain um, type of agreement. Um, It's a good historical record as well. Totally. That process wasn't,
1: it is. Is not easy I, i'm <laughs> sure there are many years went by since the original adoption of jira for contracting to now where you know chelsea and other team members would say hey, cool, thanks for pinging me over Slack, but could you please put these comments in the JIRA thread themselves so we can follow the full contract negotiation internally and understand, you know, four years from now, if we need to look back at this contract and we have to amend it, we kind of understand what the thought process was there. So there's a lot of work still within our legal team of pinging different business units of, hey, cool, thanks for reaching out to me on Slack, but can you put some of these comments about our new workers' comp provider or something else in the JIRA ticket themselves so that we can follow along and everyone can follow along for historical purposes.
0: This has been great. Very interesting podcast. I think people are going to be really interested in all the innovative things that you guys are doing. Um, to wrap things up, just give me an idea of what what's next for you. What are you excited about uh, in 2020?
2: Oh, Chelsea, take this one first. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Gusto Gusto already solves so many problems for small businesses, whether it's payroll benefits, um, human resources, and kind of the financial prosperity arm Megan mentioned earlier. Uh, but there's so many more ways that we can help employers um, create wonderful places to work. And I'm excited uh, of the things coming down the pipeline. There hard challenges that we're having to be really solution focused and and targeted towards and um, I'm really excited for all the things to come um, in the next year for Gusto product wise. This is Megan. I would echo the product that um,
1: kind of emphasis here. The two things I'm excited about in the upcoming year, all the cool product shit we can do and we will do. Mm-hmm. And number two, um, continuing to think about Uh, social responsibility and social impact and our values. This is one of the key reasons I joined Gusto. I'm so excited about all the ways we can help small businesses. They are numerous, they are sometimes overwhelming because you can go in so many different directions, but what makes Gusto special is our internal values and I am excited to continue to figure out how we can build those into our product to help share those values with other businesses also. So how do we promote um, corporate giving, uh, volunteering, um, having time off to vote. Um, there are a lot of ways that uh, businesses can be inspired and enabled to uh, do well while also doing good work.
2: Yeah, I love that and would echo that. Um, Gusto is in such a unique opportunity that we, we can have hard discussions internally as we scale and then realize what lessons we've learned and maybe they've been learned the hard way are things we could help our customers with um, and really have an opinionated stance on what it means to be a good employer and good business um, and taking care of your employees. It's all about the people.
0: That's great. Sounds like 2020 is going to be a good one for you. Well, Megan, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did.
2: Thanks for having us.